What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III, and our guest today, Godfrey Chan. How's it going, Godfrey? Good. Good, good. Thanks for coming on. Welcome. <laughs> People that are familiar with Ember have probably heard of Godfrey. He's been around doing lots of things giving lots of talks, building lots of the internals of all the Ember goodness. Wait, wait, you're not the voice of the parrot in Aladdin? I thought that was too weird. No? That, Gilbert Godfrey. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> might uh, might not have been a side gig I picked up, but I have no memory of that, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I should have read the show notes. But yeah, I guess other than the things I just mentioned or including, maybe I should have let you say all this, but maybe give the folks a little intro into who you are, what you do. Yeah, um, I am on the Ember core team. Previously, I was on the Rails core team as well. If, uh, people are familiar with Ruby on Rails. I think a lot of Ember developers came from Rails, at least, at least at the time when I like started doing Ember. I think that was a uh, kind of a popular thing at the time. Yeah, I work at Tilda. Uh, we're a small company. We have like a few people in Portland and then we have um, Peter in um, Orange County, LA, in uh, California. So um, yeah, that's, I guess, who I am as far as like work goes, right? Cool. We'll ask non-worky things later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we, we always start with a whiskey. We, I think... Was it last one we did an, another non-alcoholic one, Chuck? Or no, we did one in between. Yeah, we did just us in between, but our last guest was also a non-alcoholic whiskey. Yeah. So we have another one today. It is the Liars American Malt. This one seems like they don't really talk about, like the other one was very proud of, oh, we distill it all and we use this process and like told you about how they did it. Whereas this one is just like, we've got some ingredients and... You should try it. Yeah. It's a little more secret. Zero calories, though, which is interesting. No, three calories. It's uh, impossibly crafted. Mine says zero. Calories, zero. Really? Mine says three. Serving size, one full. Oh, yeah. Really? Do you guys say zero? Mine also has zero calories. Wait, zero. We have different versions? These are different labels. Mm. Oh, they sent you an old one, even though you ordered all three, right? Or you guys an old one and me a new one. Yours has uh, some calories. Interesting. Mine is manufactured in Australia. I don't know if that's the case for you. Same. Yeah, I don't know. Storage, use, supplied, cap to reseal. There's not a lot of info on here, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting bear label with uh, Mm -hmm. some little pop guns on it. Yeah. It's impossibly crafted, but it is possible because it's in my hand. (laughs) Yeah, so we don't have much info about it in terms of how they made it, but modern alchemy and old world magic, apparently. Yeah. Let's open her up. They include um, a 15 minute mixology class so you can learn how to use all of their stuff. I haven't done it, but I didn't even see that info, but we have our special glasses that we hmm. try in. Not that that's a required thing, but yeah, so this does smell a lot citrusier now. Mm. I get a little citrus, a little like, I don't know, fall leaves or something. Mm. 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 My vocabulary is probably not good enough to describe what this is, but it tastes like a whiskey, just <laughs> not alcoholic. All right. All right. Have you had regular whiskey? I had like, I have uh, like sips of it like here and there. Mm. So look, taste vaguely. Like we had a, I think, I don't know if we still have it, but we have a, place called the whiskey library in portland Mm. didn't we go there we have been yeah yeah i've been there once with other people but uh yeah it was a pretty cool place with like that it's literally a library of whiskey so yeah Hmm. we should open one of those after we get all these whiskeys for the podcast yeah perfect (laughs) in middleburg or elsewhere probably elsewhere yeah anyway if you want i think this one tastes better than the previous one yeah it has a little bit more like smokiness and like spice to it yeah i I get a little bit of cinnamon on the finish Mm -hmm. i do i don't know if i'm getting smoky i get citrus in both smell and taste and then more leafiness or whatever woodiness in the smell as well i don't know i make this all up too by the way there's no real vocabulary it's just whatever this is what i think 
citrus rinds taste like. And so I use that <laughs> as my vocabulary. But that could be different for every person anyway. I don't think this is bad, but I think at the end of the day, it's probably tastes kind of like a basic whiskey if you pulled the Bernie alcohol out. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's probably not incorrect. Yeah. Unfortunately, the burn is part of the fun for me. <laughs> I want to know. I want a little punch in the throat. One pain. Yeah, they like they kept a little bit of that in there. And I was looking at the ingredients and trying to figure out, like, what, like, did they add something into like to fake a little bit of that? Or is it something else in there? Like, maybe it's just the, the acid or whatever. But like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't I didn't know um, non-alcoholic whiskey existed before you. uh offered to send this to me so thank you for introducing me to that yeah yeah you're welcome it seems to be a new thing that's kind of gaining steam because you know there's a lot of people that can't drink for whatever reason and still want to have some cocktails or something so right pretty cool yeah it's interesting so the cellulose gum is what i feel one of the things i kind of taste it has like the sort of like gummy when gum when it loses its flavor kind (laughs) of taste to it a little bit to me as well the other one had much more of that so this is uh more subtle so to be fair to the other one i would say this one is better in the world of whiskeys or or my need to consume this though it's fairly low i'd send i'd give it to you if i was in portland i'd be like here have a second bottle (laughs) well you can uh, bring hopefully next year we'll have a Embercon back in person, finger crossed. But uh, yeah, 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 that'd be nice. So we're very clever and we use a tentacle scale of one to eight. So one being like terrible thing you wouldn't want to have again and you wouldn't gift to an enemy. And eight being like, this is great. I really enjoy this and would have this every day or whatever it is. So I would think basically just as a social beverage maybe you could just rate it in that way i mean i i think i i don't have that much experience with whiskey so i've like i probably rated relative high i think I, like i think they're trying an interesting thing here and um they also had to figure out how to make it zero calories in our case or like free <laughs> calories in yeah. uh, robert's case so uh, i don't know like maybe a six out of eight solid yeah. 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 I was, I was trying to like cast the net a little wider for you. Like, Oh, after work, you know, whatever right. you would maybe have. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I do wish they have more like interesting drinks on a menu that are non-alcoholic, really. Cause a lot of times like, Oh, like, yeah, sure. Like let's go for drinks, but oh, okay. I don't drink. And then like, what can I order in a menu? Well, you can have like, like a Coke or maybe like, if you're lucky, a ginger beer, right? Like, so yeah, I think like you can definitely make some pretty interesting mixed drinks here, like with, with this, mm-hmm. with this bottle here. So like, yeah, I would love to see that becoming more of a thing. No, I just snuck a, a mixer into mine because I wanted to be able to rate it on that level as well too. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm getting it. I added a little Coke doing kind of a whiskey and Coke thing. And that does taste kind of aside from the burn that actually does taste more like I would expect that to be. So this is a decent way to have it. Yeah. So I did, I mixed some ginger ale and yeah, I think this is pretty accurate to normal whiskey and ginger ale. Honestly, I would give this, I think a five. Um, I think I gave the last one like a three or something. Cause it was yeah very citrusy, but this one's pretty good. Yeah. In that realm, I think I was going to say something similar like, Oh, I don't want to have this all the time, but I can appreciate how it compares to actually having a whiskey and Coke. And I would suggest it. And so five sounds pretty good to me as well. And my, uh, I think I gave the other one like a two, which was maybe unfair in that I wasn't able to mix it. So perhaps I'll try that on my own and update our listeners. My feeling on that level. Cool. Great. All right. So obviously the main things we're here for are Ember stuff like the new edition Polaris, which honestly, I just had, or sorry, let me get this correct. We just had a baby like a couple of months ago. So I missed a lot of the Emberconf. I saw maybe a couple highlights, but did not watch like the keynotes and stuff. So for me and for those who have not heard about what Polaris is, give us the, the lowdown on what's coming and what's cool about it. 
Right. First of all, congrats on the on the baby. It seems like it's uh, becoming a, a thing in uh, the Amber community. I feel like every year we see like babies popping up here and there. Yeah. So uh, yeah, congrats. Yeah. So for Polaris, I think so. I had one way to talk about it, and um, like I basically came up on like with how to describe it in in my talk in Evercom. So we can have links or whatever afterwards and uh, people can watch that. So, but um, like there are uh, like, it's a hard thing to communicate, a hard thing to describe, right? So I had a few different ways that I was going to talk about it. And like some of them didn't make it in the talk. So like maybe we can try some of that here and maybe that would resonate to some other people. I think if you have been around in the community for a while, and in particular, if you were here for the, pre-octane and octane, like the post-octane world of like writing Ember code. I think for those of you who have been through that, I think that's like a great place to look back to, you know, to remember how, how it felt like before and after octane. And like, I think that it would be a pretty similar comparison here because that's like what an addition is, right? Like, I think the first time we did it, like nobody had any idea, like including us, right? Like what exactly is an idea, the idea of an addition, like, right? Like, but I think now that we have lived through that transition, I think it's kind of stark, right? Like you look back to it, it's like, oh, like now, like before we used to have this bespoke Ember object model, like, and then now, like when you look at it, for the most part, it just looks like normal JavaScript, right? Like you have, like you don't have computed with a bunch of dependent keys. You just have like normal classes with fields and sometimes getters and stuff. And yeah, I think like, at least for me, that's like the main thing that I remember from Octane, right? Like to, to the point that now occasionally, if I go back to like an older Ember app, like with the older idioms, like like sometimes work on like the Ember inspector, for example. And like, I think we don't necessarily, like we, ha- we haven't ported everything to Octane yet. So like sometimes when I go back and do that, it's like, wow, like that takes me a while to remember how things used to be. Like there were very good reasons how why they were that way in the past, right? Like, but like, I'm also glad that like we have like the, the landscape has evolved to a point where we don't need those things anymore. So like, that's how, like, at least emotionally, that's how I remember the Octane transition. And so like the way that I like think about Polaris is like, there are a couple of related things, but the, the thing that I focus on in my part of the talk is aligning Ember with the modern NPM package ecosystem. Right. Like, and it, the way I think about it, the way I envision it or the way I imagine it is like the way that you look at Ember code before and after Octane and you look at like all the object model stuff and see how like, oh, like the after Octane, like there's not a lot to talk about because it just makes sense. Right. Like, and I think that's the way I think about Polaris in relation to like packages, imports, that kind of stuff. Right. Like, I think we built this pretty elaborate system because we're like early enough to have to build the tools that didn't exist back then. And I think the overall ecosystem have kind of evolved to the point similar to how the JavaScript language have evolved back in the Octane timeframe, right? Like to the point where we don't need a lot of those custom things anymore. And so like the the project, like the Polaris project in that specific compartment of like Aligning Ember with modern NPM packaging ecosystem is basically so like how can we align the things that we are like that everyone else needs to do that and we're doing, but like maybe we're doing it in slightly differently, such that you can't just use a lot of the other tools that other people get to use, right? Like I think one example of it, it would be things like TypeScript and stuff, right? Like for like it, it's kind of like it almost works in the same way that like even before Octane, like you could use native classes, right? Like it, it's still JavaScript. You could write that. But then if you try to do that, then you find edge cases where like the seams joins together, like things start to fall apart a little bit or like it, things become awkward. And I think like we're kind of in the same state in relation to like the NPM ecosystem packaging tooling, that kind of stuff, right? Like you can kind of use TypeScript, you can kind of use like Webpack or whatever, like if you jump through a lot of hoops. But um, at the end of the day, like I think there are just like a lot of little tiny differences that adds up such that tools like TypeScript don't automatically just understand what's up within an Ember app. And I think 
at least one of the things for Polaris is to figure out how we can transition to a world where we don't have those little tiny differences anymore so that when you open a project in VS Code, TypeScript just knows what's up. Like when you use third-party tool like Skypack or like whatever fancy tools that understand packages and modules in the JavaScript ecosystem, it would also just understand Ember code because Ember code in Polaris is also just like modules and packages like in the same way that any other JavaScript code bases are. Really. So I think that's like the big thing. That's like one of the big things for me. Um, and that's what I focus on in my talk. Like I think before my talk, Yehuda kind of laid out the landscape. Like I think there are three important pillars to the Polaris plan. One of the pillars is what I just talked about. The other two is continue to invest in or innovate in our reactivity system. That's number two, really. And the other thing is um, encourage adopting universal design principles like in a in, in, um, way that relates to accessibility. So like we, we can talk about all of those, but like that's the big, big, big picture. Okay. Okay. So in a way, would that mean like changing things to a degree to where you wouldn't necessarily have to create an Ember add-on to utilize a package. You could consume things more directly. Yes. Okay. That's definitely one very important part of it. Like I think to an extent, right? Like you can already do that in Octane with Ember Auto Import. So like basically one of, like it was kind of a last minute thing that we threw into Octane because it was ready and why not, right? Like so Ed worked on this, shim called like ember auto import that you can drop into your app and then like with that you can more or less just npm install stuff like from npm right like and then you can import them in your ember app i went into a lot more details in my talk but that kind of worked in a it's basically a very elaborate hack right like and i think that's great that we kind of got 90 percent there but as i was saying earlier because there's that 10 percent difference a lot of tools don't just work with um with ember right like and i think polaris we try to get like let's get 100 percent there and actually make it how it works under the hood right like i think with ember auto import is basically well we have this existing system so like let's try to bridge it so that you can install stuff from npm and then it will like auto import it into the existing system using app.import and and whatnot, right? Like, and I think with Polaris, it's like, why do we still need that? We didn't, we don't need that kind of stuff anymore, right? Like, so let's try to get rid of that. And we like, obviously, we just can't. We can't just like delete the code and like because a lot of things would stop working, right? Like, so I think the the project is basically how can we go from point A to point B with like a good transition path, right? Like with good tools, good guidances, that kind of stuff. And, and I think like that's another place where you can like try to reach back into the memory for Octane. And I think like with Octane, we have like code mods and like blog posts, guides and stuff like that help people move from the Ember object model to native JavaScript classes, right? Like, and I think that's like a big part of why an addition is important. And I think we'll try to replicate the like we'll learn from the mistakes from there, but also try to replicate the the good parts, the successes from the Octane transition, right? So, yeah. So will Polaris then require things like add-ons to be V2? Certainly, like I, I don't know about require, but I think in a sense that when you're like, when you talk about Octane, you think native class syntax, right? Like I think it's at least that degree of couple, like it, to an extent, Yes, like I think that's what Polaris means, right? Now, like additions are never breaking changes, like they're not major versions, right? So like the like Ember 4. whatever will still work with V1 add-ons, right? Like in the same way that like today you can still use the classic Ember mo object model. But I think the point of the addition is like to have a way to talk about like what are the new idioms, like really what are the baseline expectation when you when you generate a new app like when you start a new app today or when you start a new add-on today or if you have an app that has migrated to polaris like i think the expectations are like oh like you will get a lot more benefits from v2 add-ons i think that's like certainly a big part of the the story but that being said like there are compatibility layers there's embroider it will automatically translate add-ons for you under hood so i think 
a lot of things will like a lot of the old stuff will still work. It's just that the more add-ons you have in V2, the more of the benefits, like the faster builds and stuff that will you you'll get from it. Gotcha. And so yeah, obviously Embroider is powering a lot of that, and then that is Webpack based. Are there lands then as things evolve to be more, you know, just normal JavaScript, quote unquote, yeah. to be able to switch out build tools like use Vite or, you know, whatever? Yep, definitely. I think that's the plan and that's the architecture, right? Like the, what we mean by like have Ember be more like, like regular JavaScript is like, I think like we can be quite concrete about that. So like, I think one of the problems you have with Ember today in that area is it's like pretty hard for a tool to understand where things came from because a lot of the parts in your app are just like kind of implicitly glued together with the Ember conventions, right? Like, so you kind of like part of learning Ember is like to learn that, oh, like if you have a component, it goes into this directory and we kind of expect the directory to have these stuff in here, like maybe a like a JS file with a HTTPS file next to it. And that means they're together, they're related. Or if you have a route, it goes into route folder. And then in, in the template, when you have angle bracket, capital foo, that means invoking a component and you go find it in app slash components slash foo.js, something like that, right? I think like you can have an opinion on like whether that's actually good or bad, but like I think I mean from a like from a day-to-day programming perspective or from a learning Ember perspective, right? Um, I think some people like the conventions, some people find it like a little bit too magical, but nevertheless, I think tools have a lot of like there's just no way for the tools to understand that. Like, well, there is a way, but you have to like you have to teach all of those rules to the tool, right? Like, and that's basically what Embroider is. So the problem is like with Embroider, we can get that to work in the build by encoding those conventions and rules in a program, basically. But then still, if you're interested in using TypeScript or even just using the VS code jump to definition or whatever, like that thing doesn't know it, right? So like, I think by making Ember more aligned with the modern JavaScript packaging ecosystem, like what we mean is like, well, like we, the way that the ecosystem decided to express those kind of dependencies is to use imports, right? Like, so let's find ways to actually encode those relationships with like actual JavaScript imports. And with that, then like the tools like TypeScript or VS Code can just understand those relationships without having to teach it to them. So that's like kind of the general architecture or that's a general goalposts, I guess, of like where we want things to be at. And Broder exists underneath that to basically bridge the gaps where that is not 100% true, right? Like I think there is a world where like literally everything that we do is expressed using standard JavaScript concepts, using imports and stuff. But like, I think we're not going to get there like in one giant step, right? Like so Embraer is there to basically insert those hidden imports, insert those like to group files together, that kind of stuff, right? Like, and, and I think the architecture, it's like, that's basically what it does, right? Like it, it, when you should have an import, but you didn't have one because conventions or whatever, it will like under the hood transform the file so that it actually insert the import there so that it can then just hand that to Webpack or something else. So in terms of the architecture, yes, you can definitely swap out Webpack with Vite or whatever else that you want to use there. I think it is, like, I'm not super familiar with the Ember code base, but um, my understanding is, like, it is pretty set up for that. There, Someone did a proof of concept PR for um, having a Vite backend instead of Webpack plugin. I don't know that when, when we ship, like, how many adapters we will have included, but um, in terms of the architecture, I think that's like definitely a thing that you can do. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was kind of more just Webpack magic, Um, but that's good to hear that it's, you know, planning a little bit ahead and being agnostic there. So let's take a step back. 
we can talk a little bit more about Polaris maybe in a minute, but I skipped the question of how did you get into Ember? Like what brought you here and how'd you get with Tilda? That's a good question. I chronologically, I basically, I I spoke at EmberConf and um, at EmberConf, I I had a chance to like talk to Tom at the time and Yehuda like about like my talk, but also just in general, like I think in conferences, you meet people and you chat about things. And then a couple of months after that, it turns out that they were also hiring. So they reached out to see if I would be interested and like the, like the rest is history. So yeah, like in terms of getting into Ember, like basically I started doing Ember before I worked at Tilda, like, but mostly as um like developer uh, capacity, right? Like I write Ember apps. I try to convince my workplace to use Ember app, like with to use Ember with mixed success, right? Like, but then like at a at a hobbyist level, I like kind of like I run a small local meetup in, in Vancouver at the time, and I have a couple of Ember apps, and like I've you know had some ideas and submitted a talk for EmberConf, right? Like, so that's like my involvement before Tilda. And then after Tilda, it turns out as soon as I joined, like as soon as I started working here, I was supposed to be doing something else in a company. But at the time, like like the time it worked out that like Tom is in the middle of moving to New York, Tom and Yehuda, well, like Tilda has a um, project with LinkedIn at the time. And like Yehuda needed someone to pair with on that. And Tom is not available anymore because he's like leaving company and moved to New York. Right. Like, so like kind of, I kind of just got thrown into the deep end on day one when I started. It's like, Hey, like actually, you know, you want to pair off your head on Ember stuff, right? Like that's basically how I got started with Ember. Before that I was working on, I think I mentioned that a little bit. I worked on like rails and stuff. Right. So I met the people who worked at the time, like, including Tom Yehuda at RailsConf. So I think like prior to that, we had like some chances to kind of like, like we met them a couple of times and then like we kind of casually talked about like stuff like Rails, Ember. So I think that that's kind of like leading the little encounters along the way. And then like eventually, like I think EmberConf was probably when I like really met, met them and like the timing just worked out better that time. Gotcha. Speaking of Yehuda... Tell us what Starbeam is. Right. Starbeam is Yehuda's project in collaboration with some other people in LinkedIn and elsewhere. So I was saying there are three pillars of Polaris, so to speak, really. The first one is aligning Ember with the modern NPM packaging ecosystem, which we talked about a bunch. The other two is continue to invest in our reactivity system and um, universal design, right? Like, so Starbeam kind of fits into the second point. I mean, it's not strictly related to Polaris in that we can totally ship Polaris without Starbeam. And I, I don't think Yehuda started Starbeam with like Polaris in mind per se. I think it's just one of his, one idea that he had, like a, a side project that he started working on that eventually got like a little more serious. But the short answer is it's basically track properties and track built in Ember, but um, ported to work with other frameworks. So that's like a very general way to talk about it. But I think it's the same reactivity model that we are now very used to and like kind of take for granted in Ember, right? Like where you like where you just have like attract in a couple of places and then everything else kind of works like falls on that. You can have getters that depend on those track states or you can use them in template and everything kind of just automatically figure out what the dependencies are and update itself as needed. So it's basically extracting that part into like in a, a dedicated data like reactivity library that you can use in React, you can use in like VUV, Ember, whatever. And I think one of the benefits of that is you can now write, like if you wanted to, you could like write the kind of libraries like Apollo or Ember data in a framework agnostic way that like, or at least have a way to work in of the frameworks, right? Because it just pulled out the 
data modeling the the reactivity layer and just have like a thin layer of glue that glues it back into each of the frameworks. At least that's the theory. So I think like from an Ember user's perspective, it might not actually be particularly mind-blowing or or impressive or like might not even appear that useful at first glance because it's just basically how you expect things to work in Ember. But I think there are there are benefits too in, in the sense that like a lot of companies have apps in different frameworks for one reason or another. Like I think, for example, intercom like I might not be very up to date on this, but like I think the main intercom app is an Ember app, but then like it has always been the case that their chat, like the chat widget that you put in other people's website is written in something else. I, I think last I heard that was written in React. I don't know if that has changed. But then now, like, let's say you're in that situation where you have like a mix of Ember and React code, right? Like now you have a way to maybe create more abstractions or libraries that are shared between the apps that like would work in both, right? Like, but like, because a lot of the, the things that you want to share actually has nothing to do with rendering per se, right? Like you want to, if you do render the data on the screen, you want them to be up to date. But then like other than that, like in itself, it's kind of like just regular classes or like arrays or like data stores and stuff. Um, so yeah, Starbeam is basically an extraction of that pattern into its, li- uh, into its own library. And I think in the very long term, maybe we can expect the Ember, the related reactivity system in Ember to be implemented on top or in terms of star beams. Like I think that's like a longer term goal. In the short term, like it can interrupt between the frameworks and it'll probably be a tagged on thing in Ember. Like in the long term, there's no reason we need both track properties and star beam because they're like actually just the same thing, right? Like star beam is like track properties V2 like plus track built-in and stuff, right? Like so I think in the long term, at track would probably be in re-export from star beam and like like I don't know in, in, in the Polaris time frame or whatever, right? Mm. But uh, yeah, it, it's basically the same concept that we're already used to. I think the main reason we're talking about it is uh, because Yukut is giving a talk on Starbeam at JS Nation, I think on this coming Monday. I don't know if people need tickets and stuff, but like I think over the next week or two, eventually you'll find a talk is that the one in dc i forget i'm not sure i i can check it's uh the conference is called js nation i think they're a hybrid conference this year so like in a sense kind of anywhere yeah it, it could be anywhere um as far as where the in-person part i have no idea hmm. so uh, let me regress a little bit on hmm. on what you're speaking about so to me because i haven't used octane or Anything recently, I, most of my Ember experience is from previous years, but it sounds to me like it would be an abstraction layer that would allow you to stitch things together in a micro front ends kind of way, right? Where you could have a shared state across micro front end apps and then think of ways like Ember knows how to consume it. This is could be a shared thing and you could write away in your app to do that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's like certainly one way you might want to use it. Right. Like I think at the most fundamental level, the go to example or like the, the basic example you would see in like every framework's guide or whatever is like you have a person object. Right. Like, and then you have a first name, last name. And you want to make sure you want to render that on the screen. Right. But you also want to make sure if that person's first name and last name get updated without you having to do any like imperative thing it just does reflect that on the on the screen right right so i think it's basically a framework agnostic way or at least a way to express that kind of reactivity that has adapters in like the the major frameworks right like so right i could see this as in a way robbie where you may never have to write a hook even if you had to work in React. That's what I was going to say. So, yeah, I could go to React or, you know, anything that, like, might render web components, let's say, so that then I could use those everywhere and use this in it to do the same tracked stuff I'm used to. And, yeah, I won't ever have to do functional use 
effect or use state or any of that. Right. Yeah. I think that's the observation. It's like for one reason or another, like you like it tends to be the case that you don't just work in Ember, right? Like, but I think we also like really appreciate and like realize that the the programming model that we have in Octane with like track properties is, is pretty powerful, right? Like where you just annotate where the roots of the mutable, like where the mutable stuff are. And then as long as you annotate that, then you can just use it anywhere else and it will like track the dependencies all the way up back to the roots so that when the root changes, it knows what to invalidate. And I think the idea is basically to extract that and then make it less coupled to Ember. And I think you mentioned React, and I think that's great because I think um, his demo is actually in React. Like, it's, it's kind of weird, but that's kind of the point of, like, what this is, right? Like, so if you manage to find your talk next week or whenever it comes out, yeah, it's like, I think give that a, give that a watch. It's a demo of, like, how you use Starbeams in React. And I think that's uh, pretty relevant to what you were saying. Yeah, I think he's casting a very wide net with that and bringing familiar concepts to a wider audience. Like, okay, if you don't want to use this thing, but there's a part of this thing that could be very useful to you. Let me show you how that is. Right. So I was thinking a little bit earlier, because when you're talking about like coming from the Rails community, and a lot of people were led to Ember through that. Yeah, the active record paradigms that, you know, drug over from that and people understand and and know that kind of stuff. And it was like way early on, we actually interviewed uh, Tom Preston Warner, who came from Rails and somehow through GitHub, he just like completely skipped the Ember thing and kind of was like, oh, I heard of it once, but I got into React and it, I really liked that for a while. And no, so he has that full stack framework now, Redwood JS, which I think also draws from a lot of the paradigms that were popular in Rails. I'm wondering, like, have you heard of, looked into that at all? Like, I'm sure I, I saw the announcement on Hacker News or whatever, but I personally have not really kept up with that linear age of frameworks. Like, I, I don't know if that's actually short answer. No, not really. I've like, I've probably seen the announcement come up, but I, I like don't know a whole lot about it. It seems like that this Starbeam could be like tailor made. Because as of right now, their view layer is only React. They want to talk about like letting you be more flexible in it. But like, let's say you like a lot of things about the opinionated full stack startup framework that it is. But then you're like, I want to deal with state in a way that isn't Redux based or isn't just hooks throughout or something else. Oh, here we go. Maybe you know, there's a good fit there. I just think it sounds interesting. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think like we'll see what the adoption is like, right? But I, I think conceptually, a reactivity layer that is decoupled from the framework makes a lot of sense to me because there's just a lot of libraries and abstractions that you want to write that eventually you want people to be able to use them in UI, right? Like I think like any of the I love talk about reactivity, but like usually that boils down to you want to put it on the screen and want to make sure it's kept up to date, right? Like and yeah. Like maybe you're working on like the equivalent of Google Maps or whatever, where you just have a lot of data objects and like you don't need to have like maybe Google Maps is like not the best example because like, yeah, probably the rendering is pretty coupled to that. But like maybe maybe you're like serving like you're writing something that wraps an API, right? Like maybe it's like the OpenStreetMap API where it gives you like the relationship between the like the streets and the cities or like buildings or whatever and like at the end of the day you expect people to want to render them on the screen maybe on a map maybe on a 3d thing maybe like who knows right like so you don't really want to in your library be hard coupled to react or whatever right like i think we're kind of past that as a community right like as an ecosystem so like but then like what does that mean for like you you have to have some way to let people wire it up and like i think the current status quo without anything is like hey maybe you have like some callbacks or something and then you have to do some like a lot of elaborate things to wire it up and it just end up that like people have to write framework specific wrappers for your library anyway which is like one of the things that we say oh like maybe it's nice that you don't have to do that anymore right so um i think having something like starbeam where 
you can express those reactivity concepts or those annotations without making your library only usable in React or or Vue or whatever is like a, a good thing to have in 20, 2022. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So uh, let's transition to some whatnot here. Wait. We talked about a lot of Ember and some Starbeam. Oh, you have a question, Chuck? Yeah, yeah. I do want to transition, but I want to control the transition by uh, telling a joke. Because we were talking about before we jumped on the podcast how, I guess, um, Godfrey, you are known for having humor in your talks. So I thought I'd just kick you off with uh, a joke that I enjoyed that I read today. Yes, please. What's the difference between a tuna, a piano, and a pot of glue? I don't know. Tell me about it. You can tuna piano, but you can't piano a tuna. (laughs) Nice work. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, we are going to transition. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, when you're not coding, obviously you're not out drinking. So what hobbies do you have? What do you like to do? Right. You know, well, I probably watch like too much YouTube, like not the (laughs) conspiracy theorist section of YouTube. But uh, I think especially during COVID, like I think I like weirdly I my brain decided I get a lot of enjoyment seeing people do things that are interesting mm-hmm. rather than doing those interesting things myself. Like it's like I watch a lot of random cooking stuff and then like you see people like I, I'm sure I became a better coke from watching like cooking stuff. But like also for the most part, I just like like watching people who are good at those things, like explaining, teaching other people stuff or like just like being really enthusiastic about like whatever that that they're doing and like feed off that energy a little bit right like so i watch a lot of like cooking stuff like a lot of the the maker stuff right like the people Hmm. building things even though like i like you know i don't think i'll ever get into a place where we i have like a cnc machine in the like in the garage or whatever but like nevertheless i like to watch people who are in that position and like talk a lot about like their the details about their CNC stuff and whatnot. Recently watch a lot of like videos, tutorials about different kind of programming, orchestral programming in like basically just playing virtual instruments in the in a computer. But like like with like virtual orchestra, basically you have to like you can do a lot of the arrangement, but like there's also like a lot of different techniques that you do to make it sound plausible or sound real. I have been doing a little bit of all of those things myself too, but I don't think like that I do enough of it or like approach it seriously enough to call any of that a hobby. Like, so I think like I've, yeah, like I guess my recent hobby is like watch people who are really excited about their hobbies and like feed off from that energy a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that a little bit. I've gone down a few rabbit holes with some of the first We Feast shows. Mm-hmm. I've spoke a few times on here about uh, Hot Ones, which I I love that. It is so entertaining. It's not cooking, but it's, you know, doing interviews with celebrities, but also like pushing them a little bit with spicy wings. There's another one on there called The Burger Show, and I'm a big fan of burgers. It's one of my favorite foods. And there's uh, a whole series there where we'll go try like different famous burgers and a few episodes. They just like try to recreate some burgers like they do the In-N-Out burger and Shake Shack burger and do kind of a home compare and contrast. That was cool. So, yeah, I I don't know. That's not really culinary delights, but. Right. It's like I could be like eating that burger now or I can be like watching those people eating that burger and having a really good time. And like for some reason, that's like entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Vicariously (laughs) living through some of the stuff they do. Yeah. I love, and it's kind of like on a small, narrowly connecting premise to this show is like taking tech people, giving them some whiskey or whatever. And also like talking about their lives outside of whatever technical thing Mm -hmm. that they're working on. And I feel like hot ones is a little bit like that. It's like, yeah, we're going to talk about the thing you're promoting or whatever right now, but also we're going to ask you some random questions, especially the hotter things get. And they do a really good research on people. And so they'll ask them like normal questions about something other than, Oh, Dave Roll was on there. And they ask him things other than music related. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of got into living vicariously through 
whatever, you know, pick your poison. Like a lot of people watch a lot of like 90 day fiance or like, you know, just things where people are like living life kind of, you know, whatever. Like, obviously that's a more extreme example, but like anything where other people are getting into real life drama or cooking or whatever, like real life things, you just watch that instead of experiencing the real one because you're stuck at home. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. It's kind of weird. Like, I mean, it's like, I think being stuck at home is definitely one part of it, but like also just, I don't know. Like I, sometimes I watch people play games and stuff like playing games myself. Like, I mean, I, I have that game, right? Like I could play it, but then I don't know. Like, like, like maybe this person's better at that game and I want to see what happens without having to. Yeah. It's interesting to see like how, like, especially for the kind of like to play games or like, City skylines, for example. Like I don't know that I actually like playing it that much, but I really like watching people play City Skylines or like that kind of game. And just like people put a lot of thought into like how they want to build these virtual cities or, or whatever. And then like I enjoy, you know, people talking about the thought process and like how they approach things or like that just seems like so like when you look at the end result, you're like, wow, like I don't think I could have done that myself. And but like watching them spend like like a condensed version of like I'm sure they put like 10 hours or whatever into it, but like, you know, edited it down into like 34, 40 minute thing. It's like, oh, for some reason, like, you know, some people like watch a lot of like drama and stuff. Like I think like for whatever reason my brain decided, like actually I like get a lot more enjoyment out of watching these kind of stuff than watching shows. You like when people create things regardless of the type of thing. Right. Yeah. It's like it's there's something about like when when people are creating things and they're like passionate about it and they're knowledgeable about it. Like watching like being just like sitting in the room watching them do the thing, right? Like I think like I feed off that that energy and it like I yeah, find it cool. You can understand that. I actually like those regular people way more than normal reality shows. Like you said, my wife watches a bunch of like 90 day fiance and some other just like totally random things, but it's just so over the top and not believable. And YouTube shows like obviously the barrier to entry is low, you know, they don't need to make any money off of it so that you can just be like, I like this thing. And here I am showing people production value goes up sure but like it's nowhere near some of these like crazy reality shows so i don't really even consider them the same and yeah it's just fun to like see that oh what's someone else doing like you said oh i have this game haven't had time to play it really but if i watch this for 40 minutes i can kind of see what's going on and i still get some enjoyment out of it right yeah my wife will watch uh like an entire playthrough of a game like uncharted for example like a game like that because there's like a story right so you watch person play from beginning to end you get the whole story it's like watching a movie people are into that it's weird but i yeah i do that sometimes i heard twitch does pretty decently so Mm -hmm. yeah they have a little bit of money i think i think they're doing all right (laughs) so someday they'll be as good as ship shape in terms of revenue we'll see (laughs) our six employees we're we're up on there how many employees does uh tilda have yeah i think i think six Hmm. hopefully no one from my company watches that is like wait a minute <laughs> i think he forgot but who you didn't do names <laughs> that was smart you didn't say names and then forget a name right yeah so because i probably would have said like well, i don't know and then robbie's like you forgot me yeah <laughs> yeah it's like it's uh yeah so i guess like we're actually the same size like right now so yeah yeah small company yeah yeah small company big reach makes some things easier mm-hmm. It's hard when someone wants like 10 developers for something, though. Can't really do that. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah, small company struggles. But uh, yeah, I think, well, at at the same time, you also like, you know, if you want to do a podcast, you get to do a podcast. So that there's something Mm -hmm. there's something nice about that. And I think, yeah, like I think we're fortunate to be in a position where we can choose to like stay small and like you know sometimes we work on things like ember and that that's cool and that's why our company exists and that's so far enjoying that yeah for sure how many years is that would that be now i was trying to think earlier when you were talking about timeline of like oh met uh yehud and tom and then tom was moving and yeah i think i've this summer would be my seventh year here i believe solid yeah kind of uh wild respect (laughs) cheers you yeah it's like i like 
I mean, I'm sure to like one or two generations back, like seven years is like nothing. But like for me, I don't think I've imagined myself like staying at a place for seven years before until now. So here I am. And I would say in the modern development paradigm, a developer career paradigm, I mean, two, three years is like, I've been here a while. I better go. Right. And in order to make those jumps incentivized in that way, especially if you're in the like the big corporate ladder thing, which you kind of have to do or what you can do or you get lured away by, well, if I go here, I'm going to get a big jump because I don't have to go through your steps. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely what I did for the entire beginning of my career. I was like, let me just work here couple minutes go somewhere else where i make a bunch more money (laughs) yeah it's way worse now though like the job market is insane right now yeah the jumps weren't so significant when back in the day when i was making those changes and kind of wasn't like that it'd be like yeah i could change jobs and make five grand more a year but i kind of like this job so maybe i'll stay another year or so and yeah there weren't the incentives to sniff around unless you were just unhappy you weren't like sniffing around because you're like, oh, I heard my friend is making 30 grand more than me. Maybe I could do that. Yeah. So we're at time here. Before we end, anything else you would like to plug or any projects or things going on, Godfrey? Well, I get their project personally, but um, I don't think I have any anything that's like ready to share. So I, I think I'll probably just point people to go watch Yehudu's talk when it comes out like go check out star beams i think for polaris hopefully in the in the coming months right like we'll start spinning up a lot of like github discussions and stuff like so watch for that in the meantime a lot of that's happening in discord and i think they're like occasional meetings and stuff if, if people are interested like definitely find your way like pay me or like ask around right like and uh, we can get you into the right rooms like virtual ones and real ones yeah and also um i think preston nvp has been working with Yuda on um ember resources that is like i think resources itself it's kind of like related to starbeam because it's like kind of like i think intrinsically starbeam has some of the same ideas but i think resources is probably going to be in you know a, a pretty integral part of polaris in the reactivity department as well, right? Like, so check that out. But um, yeah, I think I don't have anything to plug myself, but those are some of the things we talked about today. Just anything you care about. Selfless plugs. None of your projects, everyone else's stuff. <laughs> Maybe next time I, I'm on here, I will have something, but uh, those are like what I, what we talked about today. Sounds cool. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks again for being on. Thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews if you want. That'd be cool. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.